Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Follin. Thanks for listening. Right, let's find out what it's like being freelance for animator Chris Phillips. We always manage to put enough money aside to go on a holiday because it's it's just very important to take a break. You don't realise how stressed you are sometimes until you get far away from your working situation. I'm now frequently overquoting jobs because people just don't want to pay that much money. But for me, that's not really a problem because I'd rather be taking on fewer good-paying jobs than working my ass off on lots of small jobs. Yes, so it is off to Australia we go this week to Chris Phillips, whose work I just love. Man, it is so good. Uh, Links, of course, to everything that all of our guests are up to on the website, beingfreelance.com. Dot com. If you've not checked that out before, uh, please do so. You can sign up to the newsletter there as well. And there's links through to the vlog where I document my weekly, oh, I guess, journey in quotation marks as a freelancer myself. Plus, you can also join us on Twitter at being freelance. Right now, though, let's cross over to Sydney and say hello to freelance animator and illustrator Chris Phillips. Hey, Chris. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. So how about we get started as ever here and how you got started being freelance? Yeah, well, I've actually done freelance a bunch of times in my career in the 14 years or so that I've been doing it. Uh, It's only the last maybe six years that I've had the best crack at it and I've been doing it pretty much full-time for the past six years. And that really started when I was working in London. I moved to London in 2008, I think, and I lived there for two years working for an interactive Flash agency, which was obviously back when Flash was a thing. (laughs) Um, And that was right around the time that the recession, the global credit crunch happened. So I think work was pretty light on the ground at that point. And the home office was pretty strict on visas and things like that at that point. So I really didn't have many options and I felt quite stuck when I was working in England. Um, so I was on a sponsorship visa and I didn't really enjoy doing work for the web that much. I didn't really like designing websites and that sort of thing. But because I was sponsored to be there, I felt like I didn't really have any options. So I decided to pack it in in 2010 and I moved back to Sydney to do uh, video work to pretty much just aim to get all video work, um, animation and illustration work as well. I pretty much I started out doing in-house contract work, a lot of it through recruiters, and that got me a lot of kind of financial cushion really quickly in the first six months to take a few more risks over the next couple of years. And so over the next sort of three or three or four years, I gradually changed from doing in-house contracts to doing more of my own work for my own clients from home. And that's really what I wanted to do. The contract work in-house was really just to make enough money to make the rest of it happen. And so it was kind of like at the four-year mark where I was really starting to get stable and safe with what I was doing. But at that point, I had started making these little animated GIFs, which were really just practice for me to kind of get better at the tools that I was using, get better at being a character animator, get better at being an illustrator. And I quickly noticed that doing these little animated GIFs and posting them was getting me far more feedback and far more followers than anything I'd ever done for clients. So... I just kept making them. I kept releasing these little animated GIFs every week or so and gradually getting more followers, gradually getting more views. And what that did for me was it opened up all these other markets. Instead of working in Sydney, all of a sudden I was getting inquiries from Brazil and Israel and Africa and stuff. And it was just crazy for me. I never thought that would have been possible for me, but it was all off the back of just making these little GIFs and posting them on social media. And so... That was like a really big game changer for me. And now I 
get most of my work from America and Europe and England and a bit from Australia. But it all kind of comes through these social networks like, well, not really, creative social networks like Behance and Dribble. That's pretty much where all my work comes from now. And doing these little gifts and posting also led me to get an artist contract with a, a talent agency called the Jackie Winter Group. They started this arm of their business called Gift Horse, which basically just represents a few animators that do work for social media and stuff like that. And so they took me on with seven other animators and launched this business. And now they represent me in Australia, New Zealand and North America. And that's just been the biggest help I could possibly ask for because they do my marketing for me and they talk to my clients while I'm asleep in bed. And <laughs> it's really the reason why I'm so happy in my position right now. I've never felt this comfortable before in six years of freelance. It's only really the last two years where it's really fallen into place. Man, that's awesome. So it's like that combination of of suddenly realising that those gifts that you were putting out were marketing you in a way yeah. that you hadn't even planned. So it was just like a side project for you. To, to yeah, pretty much. And then getting the agency. When you, just, just to rewind slightly, when you were contracting so would that be just like short periods going into an agency or a production house or something yeah just somewhere for, for like a month yeah. um the first one i did when i got back was for six months and it was really good pay and it just yeah filled up my bank account again really quick after traveling around europe and then coming back to australia i really needed something like that but then after that first six month one it was contracts that were like a month to three months in length yeah and so before it kind of like all kicked off with your with your gifts with your loops, how were you getting those first sort of freelance clients? Was it just based on like working remotely for agencies, or uh, some of them were through recruitment companies, and then other ones were actually just through word of mouth. I got most of my work through recommendation, and pretty much all my work in the first few years was in Sydney. So it was basically just everybody kind of knew each other. It's a pretty small small market here everyone knew each other so I would just get recommended here and there and that would make up most of my work and every now and then I would get like a job out of nowhere but it was mostly through recommendations so really though it started to snowball once you put the loops out yeah I mean I was always getting more and more work as the years went on but it really snowballed at when I put the gifts out my income kind of doubled within a very short amount of time I was just getting so many inquiries that I can't really reply to them anymore. I, I became really lazy and I just can't keep up with it anymore. So I've become really bad with that kind of part of the business. I have to get, I have to get back on track with all of that stuff. It's an interesting point, though. So as all these inquiries were coming in, how did you? Well, it sounds like maybe you didn't. But how did you? How did you choose what to take on or to schedule it? Because it could, it could be quite easy to become overwhelmed. It sounds like. Um, well, that's one of the challenges. It's trying to work out which of the inquiries are the ones that are worth following up because a lot of them I would just say, oh, sorry, I'm busy at the moment. I can't take on any more work. And I'm sure I turned down some good jobs by doing that, but I'm sure I also got out of some horrors. Um, yeah, you just have to try and suss out what they're after and work out whether it's worth taking on or not. But when you work for yourself and you don't really contract out to other people, it's really hard to work out which ones are the ones you should take on or not, and I frequently get it wrong. But at the end of the day, it's about just making enough money to survive as well as doing the dream jobs. But, yeah, mostly it's about making enough money, and I just try to take on the jobs that make enough money. 
speaking of money, how did you go about pricing yourself? And as the work kind of like engulfed you, did you like feel like putting up your prices or? Well, yeah, like at first I really didn't know what to charge. And I'm not sure anybody in my industry really does because it's kind <laughs> of a niche. You see like um, surveys about graphic design rates or UX and UI rates, but you don't really see many surveys about animation and illustration rates. So at first I was just charging what I thought I could get. Um, and then it was only really once I got my agency representation that I realized what I could be charging and it was quite a lot more than what I had been charging. But I also found that I'm now frequently overquoting jobs because people just don't want to pay that much money. But for me, that's not really a problem because I'd rather be taking on fewer good paying jobs than working my ass off on lots of small jobs. So do you now find then that you have like periods where you're not working or is it just one after another pop, pop, pop? Um, sometimes I'm really, really busy, but it's inevitable with freelance that you're going to have down periods because one of my problems I've been having is that clients just frequently miss their schedules. Like for us, it's set in stone and for them it's kind of a suggestion. And <laughs> it's really hard to mitigate one client missing their deadlines and pushing out another job. So I've found that I'm either working really hard or I'm not working at all because a delay in one job has meant I can't take another job on and I've had to take like two weeks off to find another job, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So so, so you don't schedule them in back back to back or even with like a, a fire I try break. to. I try to, but that usually means I'm overlapping with two jobs at the start and the end of each job. But sometimes you've got like habitually late clients who you can't really do anything about and they will stop you taking on other work. How do you deal with your clients? Right now, the ones that do that, I'm not sure how to deal with them. <laughs> I'm not sure how other people deal with it either, to be honest. I thought of perhaps charging a fee for people that are habitually late, but it doesn't seem like many people get away with that. <laughs> I think you just have to suck it up and finish the job and then decide if you want to work with them again after that. When you say that they're late, is that like on providing feedback? Yeah, so you I kind of, I'm not, it depends on the client, but some clients will have two days and some clients will have three days to get back to you. And if they miss that and, you know, they push out your whole schedule, then there's not much you can really do about it. And do you like have, like when you start out on a job, do you set parameters as to what they're going to get? Because I guess with what you do, it could be, you know, oh, change this. Can you just change this? Can you change this? How about that? Blah, blah. You know, like it, where do you set a limit? Uh, they generally get um, sort of two rounds per piece. So they get to see sto uh, storyboard or a script at first and then they get to see style frames where they, most of their changes will happen at style frame stage where it's just a static design. And then they will also have two rounds of feedback on the animation. But um, lately I'm finding more and more that they don't have much change at the animation stage. They're really... I've noticed that clients, when they see something animated, they're happy with whatever they get to an extent. They're just like, like, wow, this is it moving. But when it's static, they're really anal about how it looks. Yeah, yeah. And do you have like processes in place for like delivering work and getting paid? Well, I've started to bill 50% up front, 50% at the end. But more and more, I'm working with my agency instead of billing clients directly. So... They handle everything and they've been really good with that kind of thing. And some jobs I get inquiries in and I just I forward it to the agency so they manage it for me. 
yeah, so they chase the money and they pay me. Payment terms aren't too good. It's about two months sometimes on jobs to get paid, which can be quite a long time. But like I said, I've always got kind of a bit of a cushion of money behind me, so it doesn't really worry me too much having to wait two months to get paid. Yeah. So on the agency jobs, do they ask for a deposit up front from the client? It depends on the size of the job. Like some jobs are only a couple of weeks long and then other jobs go for months. So, I mean, I just did this job for State Farm, which is a big bank in in the US and it was I went for like four months so they did charge for a big bulk of it up front and then another bit at the end thank god yeah do you find with the agency that it brings you I don't know like um higher caliber kind of client you know like bigger kind of clients or yeah I think they do they've got more of an access to them especially the agent that's in New York because she goes around to all the agencies in New York and introduces herself and puts us in front of them so most of my best jobs have really come from the agency. And within all of that, have you still continued like putting out your your weekly loops that you were doing? Yeah, I still do it because, um, I mean, not all my work comes from the agency and I still have to make sure that I can get enough in myself because, I mean, the agency currently represents about eight animators, but um, that will grow, that roster that they have will grow and then I think the amount of work that I get from them will probably shrink so I always need to be able to fall back on my own clients, I think. So do you dedicate a certain amount of time to that side project, which is kind, of, kind of feels what it is? Um, I do it whenever I have the motivation to do it. I go through periods where I'm super motivated and I just have an idea and I've got to make it. And then other times where I'm just like, oh, God, I don't want to do any more animation. Like I'm very cyclical. I'm like, oh man, I need a career change. Oh God, I should just be an illustrator. Oh God, I should go back to design because animation is very tedious and sometimes I just don't have the passion or motivation to kind of keep up with it. So it's it's up and down. It's very up and down. I haven't really been making as many gifts lately. I've done about three in the past two months or three months. And I think once I come off a big painful job, instead of that making me want to be more creative myself it makes me not want to make anything (laughs) so yeah i haven't made anything for a while because i've come off some big painful jobs (laughs) so how yeah how do you deal with that how do you stay like how do you manage your time and getting sucked into just i don't know you could work any hour basically so how do you manage it when you're on a job um well i like to get things done as quick as possible and just get it out of my life that's the way i am so which is one of the reasons why clients being late on their feedback and things really fires me up. <laughs> but I just, I'll quite often I'll work long hours and I'll work weekends because I want to get the job done. I, I still put all my effort into the project, but I just want to get it done faster because I know I can. And then I can take on another job and I can make more money. But that's really a bad way to think about it because my work-life balance is just completely all over the place. And I work from home and I have clients on other, the other side of the world. So I'm working from seven in the morning till late in the evening and then I'm getting emails overnight. So I never really switch off and it's become a bit of a problem. Like my work-life balance is just probably the worst part of this career choice, I'd say. Yeah. How are you dealing with that? Uh, not very well. <laughs> I always make little lists for myself, like make sure you go to bed at this hour. Don't do any work past six o'clock and it lasts about a day before I fall back into the same old habits. Yeah, I don't know. It's definitely a really hard thing to do as a freelancer. You probably get the same thing. Um, it takes a lot of effort. You mentioned that you work from from home. 
again, you know, like that can, I mean, I, d- I don't know your situation, whether you're, you know, married or you have kids or whatever, because that can change things. But it can be easy not to leave the house if you're just working from home. So how's yeah. that? <laughs> I'm a bit of a homebody. Like a lot of people I talk to there, they just don't understand how I could work from home and be alone for so long. But it really doesn't bother me at all. I'm such a homebody and I'm, I've got so many ways of entertaining myself that I don't really need the the daily contact with other people. Like I love seeing my friends and stuff, but being at home most of the time doesn't really worry me. Working from home, I get to see my wife a lot because my wife works irregular hours. She's a makeup artist and she works evenings and weekends. So if I was working in an office from nine to six, I just don't think I'd see my wife very much. And that's important to me to see my wife and hang out with my dog. So I've never... I'd, don't really want to change my working situation, even though it would probably be healthier if I did. Yeah, yeah. You're right, though. That is important. Even then, like taking time to step away from the computer to actually spend time with that other person is is different to them just being in the same building. Yes, yeah. And I'm not very good at that, which is why I think it's very important to schedule holidays and things like that. Um, because I think... If my wife didn't get a break from me being um, in my working workaholic mode, then we'd be on very rocky ground. <laughs> so, so how how often? So, do, do you like timetable? Right, we're going away. Like, yeah, far we ahead, make an so. effort. Yeah, we make an effort to have a big holiday every year. Like the last two years, I've been to Fiji each year, and the year before that, Japan, and the year before that, America. We always manage to put enough money aside to go on a holiday because it's. It's just very important to take a break and you don't realise how stressed you are sometimes until you you know, you get far away from your working situation. We always just make sure we've got enough money to make that happen. That's good though. It sounds like when you do go on holiday that you do leave the work behind. Yeah, I do. It's hard actually because when you work for yourself, I find that you have to make a cushion of a few weeks around your holiday where you don't have any work on in case there's delays and the work spills into your holiday. So it's a bit of a financial burden. You're not earning money while you're on holiday, but you're not earning money on the few weeks around each holiday to be on the safe side. Um, so it's quite frustrating. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's something I don't do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, very good. Well, I'll make a note of that one. By the way, out of interest... Because I've, my wife is Australian and in the past, you know, I've kind of mulled over, you know, what would it be like if we lived in Australia and worked in Australia? Yeah. Like, and I always think it's so hot. When would I, like, do you have to leave the house at 5am in order to actually get any exercise? Because later in the day, I just find I can't do anything. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. I find that really hard. So I have to pretty much go for a run at like six thirty, seven o'clock. Or it's just crazy. And at night, I don't know if this is a more recent thing or it's always been like this, but in summer, our heat lasts till about 8 o'clock at night or 9 o'clock at night. So the hottest time of the day is about 3 or 4 o'clock. Mm. And it's just mental. Like it's, I'm not a summer person at all and I really struggle. So I think someone from England is probably going to struggle <laughs> quite a lot more than me. But some people, some English people love it. They can't get enough of the heat. I don't know. They're crazy. Yeah, so really, beach all day long. So, are you up early every day just to make the most of that period? Well, I'm usually up early anyway because my dog wakes me up. I don't always go and exercise though. <laughs> if anything, I need to get better at exercising. 
Yeah, I remember we we were staying up at Bagara in Queensland, and we had this apartment overlooking the like the seafront. And the kids were up early because of jet lag and stuff, so we'd be up at like four a.m. and I'd see all these people jogging, and I think that looked brilliant. And I'd wait until the rest of the you know my wife and mother-in-law would wake up. So they could look after the kids and then I'd go for a run, by which point it was like eight o'clock and I was the only person and I was sweltering <laughs> and Rookie yeah. mistake. Yeah, just so hot, just insane. So yeah. Mm. Anyway, next time. Uh now what else yeah, you mentioned you know, you were doing those loops to get better. Like I think that was, you know, to to get yeah. better at what it is that you do. Is improving in that way something that you, you still keep doing? Or do you feel like you've kind of nailed it now? Or no, I definitely haven't nailed it. I think, I think in this industry, you're always learning. The skill cap is really high in animation. Um, people often ask me to do tutorials and things like that, but I'm really not comfortable doing that because I'm still constantly learning how to do it myself. But I've, I'm getting I, all the stuff I do is in the same sort of style, and all, all the clients ask me to do the same sort of style. Now I am hitting the wall a bit in doing that style. So I think I need to maybe branch out a little more. Yeah. And I suppose that's a that's where your loops are a good place so that you've got something where you can start creating a different visual style. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk briefly about your website. It says crispy. Yeah, correct. You do you it. do you trade as crispy? That's my trading name in Australia. Yeah. I'm just a a sole trader is my business structure, but yeah, I trade behind the name crispy. And have you always done that? I only started trading behind the name Crispy about three years ago, but I've still always called myself Crispy Online. It goes back to when I was in university and this was like in 2001 and I did a web design course and we had to create a portfolio website and they made us buy a URL at that point. Smart. And people used to call me Crispy in school with a Y, Crispy, but I couldn't get the URL even at that point in 2001. So I had to get Crispy. But I've always hated the name because no one ever knows it's crispy. So when I have to say to someone, my name is crispy on a telephone call or in purpose, I have to spell it or they get it wrong. But yeah, I just can't be bothered changing it now. No, it's great. And then as part of that, I mean, it's a it's an awesome looking site. You've got a load of projects. So how do you go about like choosing what to to show? Like you, you go, go into quite a bit of detail, right? I generally show a bit of everything, but nowadays I, at the top of my site, I try and show things that are of the same style because um, that's what I'm known for. And that's what I get all my work for. I may as well keep that at the top, which is all basically a flat, flat colored, bright 2D illustration and animation. And it's mostly vector based. So I keep all that stuff at the top and I try and get people to look at really kind of the projects that I think are the most creative. But my website isn't as important as it should be. Um, I don't really get that much traffic through it. Most of my traffic comes from Behance, Dribble, Instagram, and Giphy. So while I try and make my website look nice, it's at the moment that's more for me. So I've got like a nice thing to look at. But I think for people viewing my work, they don't really come to it very often. So how often would you say you're putting time into those other locations? And like, are you just posting there and then clearing off or are you part of like interacting with others and i post everything every loop i do i pretty much post to the hearts dribble giphy and instagram and giphy's a weird one like 
I've got 50 million views on Giphy, but I couldn't tell you whether I've ever had a job offer from Giphy. So most of my time I spend on Behance and Dribble, and I like commenting on other people's work and that sort of thing. There's good communities there. You get good feedback. But, yeah, they're the most valuable. I get all my inquiries from there. If, if it hasn't come directly through the Behance or Dribble app, it's come in an email and they've said, oh, I've seen your work on Behance or I've seen your work on Dribble. Yeah, that's huge. And do you share, like, work in progress or is it just a finished product? Mostly just a finished product. Um, if it's a big project, I will post lots of different parts of the project. But I don't really do too many sketches and things when I make my work. I do I really just really basic thumbnail i'm really not a very good drawer um i should be better at drawing considering i've been doing it for 14 years but i'm really terrible at it so i really just post the end product <laughs> it doesn't look like you're terrible at drawing maybe oh, you, you should, should. See my hand drawing oh. it would make the rest of us feel better <laughs> see, we'd, we'd see look what he's achieved so what would you say has been like the biggest challenge of being freelance um I'd say the biggest challenge for me is the work-life balance, but I won't go over over it again. It's probably the the same things that all freelancers have problems with. It's just the cash flow and the general stability that you have in your life when you're being a freelancer. I'm not sure if you ever really get over that, but over time it becomes a bit easier. Yeah. Okay, now I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true and one a lie and let me figure out the lie. So what have you got for me? Okay, number one, I came third in a baby contest after being bitten by a spider. (laughs) Two, I passed on the chance to make original animations for Disney. Three, Donald Trump blocked me on Twitter for tweeting a sexually explicit gif that I made about him. (laughs) Oh, these are great. Um, you came third. So, I mean, that first story makes it sound like you think you might have come first in the baby competition were it not for getting bitten by a spider. Well, the way my mum tells it, it was she used to tell me that I came first despite being bitten by the spider. I think she thought it would, I think she thought it would help my self-confidence growing up. <laughs> but it was only a couple of years ago that she told me, oh, no, you actually came like third or fourth. But basically... <laughs> I'd been bitten by a spider the night before and I grew up like I blew up into a balloon and she took me to the doctor and she said, oh, no, I've got him entered in a baby contest tomorrow. Can I still put him in? And he was like, oh, maybe not. Needless to say, she still put me in and I didn't do very well. I'm not sure if you can blame the spider for that or not. So Disney, did you accident? I mean, Disney come knocking and you you passed on it? Well, that was, I was so excited about that. It was like a dream, really, to create stuff for Disney. But um, they wanted me to make short animated loops of my own ideas and pitch them to them, and then they would tell me which ones they wanted to buy. And then they would place them between TV shows um, or, like, in apps and things like that. But it turned out that they would own everything I did, which it didn't seem really worth the risk. Like, it's a very small chance that I would do something that they liked enough to turn it into like more animated shorts or merchandise or something, but it just did seem like a risk that was worth taking. So they would even own the stuff that they didn't use? Anything I did for them would have been work for hire. So, yeah. And Donald Trump blocked you for a sexually explicit gif you did of him. Yes. Do you want to know what it was? Yeah, I'd love to. Or is it too rude? Um, It was basically Donald Trump giving a handjob to the GOP's (laughs) elephant 
uh, mascot, the character, with his tiny little fingers and hands. <laughs> okay, these are all brilliantly true. So which one is disappointingly not? Spiders in Australia. Maybe you're just playing to the fact that I might think of spiders. I don't... Spiders. Would you pass on Disney, though? I don't think Disney is true. Disney is true. Ah! So which is the lie? Donald Trump. Ah, man! (laughs) Hang on a sec. Did you create that, what you described to us, though? No, I didn't. (laughs) I made a popular Donald Trump gif before, but it was not a sexually explicit elephant sex one. I am slightly disturbed by the fact that you you created that in your head. (laughs) Because I knew you would dig down deeper to ask me what it was. Brilliant. Full points for lying. I love the the Donald Trump (laughs) Scooby-Doo one you made. Yeah. Uh, I love that one. Um, you've got to check out Chris's work. Go to beingfreelance.com and we'll put links through. And as for that Trump gif, you will just have to use your own imagination for what it could have been. <laughs> if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Don't be afraid to specialise and focus on what you're good at because I spent too much of my career trying to put my fingers in too many pies. And I think if I had just focused on doing animation and illustration a lot earlier, then I would be a lot further along in my career than I am now. It's really easy to get scared of not having enough skills, I think. So you spread yourself too thin, but I think there's value in just specialising in the thing that you really like. Yeah. So you found that perhaps you liked animation quite early on, but you carried on developing skills in things like web development or whatever. Yeah, I did coding and 3D. I was going to go back and give everything up and do 3D modeling and really I didn't really enjoy doing it that much but I just thought this is what motion graphics is this is what animation is I need to know how to do it but I really don't get any work like that all my work is pretty much doing 2D animation and illustration so why not just focus on doing that yeah well I love your work it's brilliant I warn you if you Go and click on the loops page of his website, for example. You will just be transfixed for hours. It's it's hard to pull yourself away. That's what I find. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so go take a look, beingfreelance.com, for what Chris is up to. Don't forget to check out the other episodes as well, including uh, we had another freelancer in Sydney as well. I'll put a link to that. Uh, what else? Oh, yeah, and sign up to the newsletter and check out the vlog to boot but Chris it's been really nice to meet you thank you so much and all the best being freelance thank you thanks so much for having me 